Today is Monday, June 27th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Reactions are just beginning to heat up on Roe v. Wade, and the gaslighting has begun. We will be going through all of that and more on today's podcast, where we bring you the news from a Christian perspective. If you want that mission and agree with that mission, you can help us by subscribing to this podcast. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend, all that good stuff. The news of the day. It can be overwhelming. Doesn't have to be, though. We bring a little bit of God's sovereignty into the mix. We understand who is in charge here and try to help bring that reminder each and every day. And uh, with me each and every day, including this Monday morning, Billy Hallowell, Tregons Phillips from CBNsFaithWire.com with a look at what's coming up on the pod today. Happy Monday, fellas. Good morning. I'm ready for another week. I'm ready for whatever crazy Supreme Court <laughs> oh. cases are coming this week. Oh, the the floodgates have opened the floodgates have opened what's going on trey yeah what a what a crazy end to last week but <laughs> so today i'm going to be talking about a british man who's speaking out against the transgender surgery that he endured mm. uh, calling the push to embrace it sinister yeah we're seeing more and more of these detransitions now and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the mainstream media handles those stories also on the main thing today madison seals talking about pregnancy centers uh, you're seeing a lot of narratives on those as well, a lot of false narratives on those, but they're going to be more important now than ever. And um, she's got the details on that. But first today, the gaslighting, it's begun on Roe and the justices, Billy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think the place to start is that we've got Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. She is outraged after the Supreme Court overturned Roe, and she's got a warning she's putting out there. She went on Meet the Press on Sunday, and she basically said that we have a a crisis in our democracy and that she wants the justices to possibly be impeached. Hmm. Now, the justices she's referring to are the conservative justices And she believes, AOC, that some of them lied under oath during confirmation hearings when they talked about how they might handle Roe v. Wade, right? Of course, that's a major case, the 1973 case that legalized abortion in the first place nationwide. She believes that when they were questioned on it, they did not tell the truth. Um, And here's what she said. She said, if we allow Supreme Court nominees to lie under oath and secure lifetime appointments to the highest court of the land and then issue without basis rulings that deeply undermine the human and civil rights of the majority of Americans, we must see that through. She said there must be consequences for, quote, such a deeply destabilizing action and hostile takeover of our democratic institutions. She went on to say that this is a crisis of legitimacy and called lying to Congress an impeachable defense. But it's important that we note that this has been really something on the left, a lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats talking about how they believe the justices when they were being confirmed, they lied. And it's also been looked at, interestingly, by Snopes, which is hardly a fact-checking site that is always fair to conservatives. It's also been looked at by PolitiFact. Um, the three justices, just to clarify, it's it's Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Those are the, the three that are under fire for this. But when Snopes looked at this claim that they lied, right, that they were dishonest in their Senate confirmation hearings, that, wrote, that they thought Roe v. Wade was beyond overturning, they found, quote, in brief, describing 
issuing a ruling as an important precedent, which is what the three did, is not tantamount to giving a commitment not to overturn that ruling. So basically, all three of them said, oh, yeah, the, you know, Roe v. Wade is precedent. It's the law of the land. But when you dug into the details, and Snopes actually did a great job of this on this story, they presented that never did the three of them say they would not overturn Roe. They just said it's precedent. It's the law of the land. And PolitiFact found the same thing. While all three paid homage to the precedent and described Roe as such during their confirmation hearings, none said precedents are untouchable or that Roe was cast in stone. And so we can go on and on there, but but AOC is on quite a tear on Sunday. She also <laughs> said um, on Twitter, she said, quote, forced pregnancy is a crime against humanity. Mm. Um, so, so look, they're looking to knock down these justices, but we have to point out that the fact checks do not hold up to her claims. Mm. Yeah, and uh, it is interesting to see, and, and I'm glad you uh, kind of tallied and kept kept track of this one because the claims are coming in so fast and furious and um and i'm honestly shocked that these fact checkers went ahead and fact checked this one correctly because they're often very much one-sided trey and i you know have gone through many of these fact checks where it's so blatantly one-sided and so i'm honestly shocked and I'm, but i'm glad they did it because i think we're going to see more of these types of claims um a lot of critiques are out there which i'll go through a few of them in a second but very few of them actually talk about the decision itself that just re it, they just lean on the emotion of what's going on um, in this particular, uh, you, you know, with this issue, not necessarily the, the Supreme Court case itself. And so I think as Christians, we have God's given us logic. He's given us the ability to reason and to, um, you know, be rational. And so I. We have to use that. We have to actually make good arguments, good, solid, sound arguments. And you just don't see a lot of that right now. You see a lot of emotion. And I think we have to fight that tendency and fight that urge to be emotional on this issue one way or another and engage with logic and reason and fact, especially because on this particular issue as Christians, we know the truth is on our side on that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think there's the, the propensity definitely to lean into emotion and not that we shouldn't acknowledge emotion and be sensitive in these conversations. Yeah. But like you said, at the end of the day, you have to be able to look and, and call a spade a spade and say, look, this is what the facts of the, of the case are. But I think we're going to see a whole lot of this uh, kind of argumentation and also the leaning into the convenient assumptions that are just sound good, but are actually not at all true uh like the the argument that that people who are pro-life don't care at all about the child yeah. after it's born which is something that that our, our main thing we'll go into today talking about pregnancy centers and the value of those and their assumptions about what they do and don't do that some are true and some aren't true and i think we've we've heard a ton of that over the years but i think it's going to ramp up so it's important that we mm. talk about it highlight it and and separate you know parse out the truth from the fiction yeah yeah, a hundred percent. And um, you know, especially when you hear these false narratives, I mean, it's easy to just want to dunk on people and and, and whatnot. But um, it's better to actually just present a solid argument because, again, the truth's on that side, and you can rest easy in that. So, all right, let's uh, let's take a little closer look as well. Some of the reactions going on here, guys, because I think these are only going to heat up. You're seeing. Um, a lot of people on the pro-choice side, abortion side, really settle into some narratives. I think they took the punch from their point of view, and now they're settling into some narratives about, well, how to respond to this. And 
You know, it's interesting, you know, Bill, you sent me the message, Justin Bieber talked about it, he posted that it's a woman's right to choose. They have her over their body. Again, responding with logic and, and reason. It's not her body there at that time. You got a unique human in, in the womb. Um, that was a disappointing one. It was, was disappointing. It really was. You know, here's Justin Bieber, who's often talking about faith and speak pretty boldly at times about the gospel. And he posted that. There's a lot more. Um, Bloomberg has an opinion piece saying the end of institutional suicide for the court. Uh, but, you know, Pres- uh, Vice President Kamala Harris got a little flack over the weekend uh, from both sides. Uh, she tweeted from the her official vice president account. Uh, it was an image of herself on, I guess, Air Force Two. And so a lot of people were kind of joking. Oh, this is relatable. Just you're you're in a fight with, you know, alongside of us up in your plane watching TV. Um, but it says she wrote, I know that there are women out there who are afraid. To those of you who feel alone and scared, I want you to know the president and I are fighting for you and your rights. We are in this fight together, she said. And so hence everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're in it just with us. You're up in a, on this plane. And um, and that's so that's what the pro abortion side was, my, you know, criticizing her for. But um, of course, the pro life side was criticizing her for just you know, you're wanting to keep the right for an abortion alive. So getting it from all sides there. But. Another interesting, this is one I'm interested in following here, guys, on CBNnews.com. Arizona lawmakers were held hostage, quote unquote, as thousands of pro-abortion radicals tried to breach the state Senate. This is up on CBNnews.com. As Arizona Senator Wendy Rogers praised the swift action of law enforcement after police used tear gas to break up a mob of pro-abortion protesters at the Senate's building. You can see the video there that's uh, in the article, and it's... Very much looks a lot like what some people are right now complaining about on these January 6 hearings, uh, trying to storm this Capitol and you know busting through doors, um, and in a quote attempt to disrupt our work with terror and violence. They repeatedly attempted to breach the perimeter and enter the building, but law enforcement bravely stood their ground and saved the day. Um, this comes as well as AOC. You talked about her, Billy. She went viral, uh, I believe it was on Friday, um, perhaps on Saturday, but I think it might have been on Friday on an initial reaction to this ruling. And she's out in the streets calling the the Supreme Court justices illegitimate, calling the decision illegitimate, and then telling people to get into the streets. Interesting talk as she's one of these people who are promoting the January 6th hearings. So interesting to see that messaging side by side. Not a lot of awareness there. Uh, but I, but guys, I bring up this Arizona one because the image is there. It's in the emotion that we're seeing online. And actually, there's been a lot of calls for violence. Uh, I've seen it on the Libs of TikTok account. They chronicle a lot of these reactions. And you're seeing multiple, multiple people openly saying on social media, I am advocating violence against these justices, against Christians in their neighborhoods. That was another one saying, forget the cities, don't burn down the cities, they're on our side. Go into suburban neighborhoods and burn them down, see how they like it. Now, I don't think that they're thinking this one through because, remember, they're complaining now that those Christians or those conservatives out in the suburban neighborhoods want their guns and they have all their guns. I don't know that it'll end well for them if they go out and start trying to 
hit these houses in suburban America, rural America. I'm not I'm not sure that's going to end well for him, particularly places like Texas. Um, so anyway, you have these reactions heating up and you're seeing these open calls for violence. And then we're seeing what happened in Arizona. And so, uh, guys, it's just starting to heat up, it looks like. Yeah, and I think, you know, this goes back to the topic we talk a lot about, which is the obsession with you know, the self and this idea that your feelings and emotions are more important than anything else. I do, I do find it incredibly ironic and fascinating that when the court issues something like gay marriage, right? Um, mm -hmm. We love the institution. The institution protected us. It gave us what we wanted, but when it implements something, you know, or makes yes. a ruling that is not liked, suddenly right. tear it all down, start yeah. over. And, you know, Biden's reaction to this, which is really fascinating. He does not want to stack the court, at least for now. And he's been, Pretty consistent on that because that is the obvious you know, reaction to this is we just need more justices who agree with what we agree with right. because we lost. And so we're going to rig the system. And I think, you know, this idea of rigging the system consistently and questioning elections, you know, all of these things that we're doing that erode the very underpinnings of our country are really unfortunate. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And um, yeah, it is. Again, I think it's only going to heat up, Trey. Yeah, well, I thought it was bizarre that the the very same people who, uh, during the Trump presidency, the Trump years, are, were so worried about authoritarianism, are now the same people saying abolish the Supreme yeah. Court. It's like, I, uh, yeah, I, it doesn't I feel like it, it, it doesn't yeah. seem to logically track there. No, it doesn't all. It doesn't feel like you're there. The the um, baseline is actually democracy. It feels like the baseline is the things it's we like, we and then when we don't get them, we're mad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Sure. Well, uh, let's shifting gears a little bit here, and it's kind of related because um, you know it's part of this whole LGBTQIA whatever letters they've added to the mix now. Uh, Detransitioning is becoming more and more of a thing. Trey, you've got a story along those lines. Yeah, so Richie Heron, a, a British man, he's suing the UK's National Health Service, claiming the government agency preyed on his depression uh, by rushing him through transgender sex-altering surgeries as he was battling mental illness. Uh, so in a new interview with the Daily Mail, Heron is claiming the surgery, which removed his penis and testicles, caused unbelievable trauma in his life, literally from the moment he woke up from the procedure. Uh, now unable to have children or obviously return to his natural body, uh, Heron's calling the 2018 surgery, quote, the biggest mistake of his life. He's only 35 years old, too, we should note. Hmm. Uh, so while the NHS is claiming it doesn't fast-track these kinds of life-altering procedures, Heron is arguing the exact opposite. Uh, he says he was diagnosed as transsexual after just two 30-minute psychiatry appointments with the NHS, uh, he said that he was convinced of his own transgenderism by conversations he had with people online uh, in 2014. Uh, so he went in for the surgery then in 2018 after years of being on uh, hormone replacement therapies, uh, despite warnings from his relatives who actually told clinic staffers the day of his surgery that he was not in the right mental headspace to undergo such a serious procedure. Uh, but Heron nevertheless went in for the procedure, like I said, in 2018. He said when he got to the clinic, he actually never even saw the surgeon who performed his surgery. Mm. Uh, so the NHS is pushing back against Heron's story, telling the Daily Mail that each person's care plan is, quote, collaborative and tailored to their specific needs and goals. 
Uh, nevertheless, Heron is moving forward with his plans to sue the NHS. Uh, he believes the agency pushed him towards surgery after quickly greenlighting hormone therapies without weighing or considering his pre-existing mental health issues with depression, anxiety, uh, and all, all of that. And he said that he believes that there are actually many people like him. And there have been several stories that we've covered at CBN News uh, and at Faithwire.com, uh, both in the United States and the UK, around the world, uh, who kind of corroborate what he's going through by, by claiming that there are a lot of so-called detransitioners out there, which is those who, like uh, Heron, uh, Richie Heron, regret uh, the decisions that they've made and kind of wake up out of the fog. Uh, for him, it was literally coming out of the anesthesia uh, that he realized, I've made a huge mistake, and obviously I can't reverse what's been done. Uh, but he's saying that there should have been more speed bumps put in along the way uh, that that could have stopped him or, or urged him to reconsider. But he was never actually urged to reconsider. Uh, everything was just kind of affirming what he claimed to be feeling at the time. Uh, he said that this is an avalanche waiting to happen, uh, referring to the people who were uh, coming out of the woodwork, regretting their procedures. He said he's not alone. Uh, there are a ton of people out there uh, who are just now starting to speak out. He said transition is now being sold to people on a mass scale uh, and called the phenomenon sinister. So incredibly important story to highlight because I think he's one of many uh, who are going to be speaking out in the, the months and years to come. We've already heard from a lot, uh, but I think he's right in that there are, are a whole lot more uh, coming as, as we fast track and push more and more people, particularly the younger generations, toward this stuff without ever really pausing uh, to consider uh, that that maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Yeah, and it is really sad to see that this is something that's become acceptable. You're seeing the line get pushed more and more and more. I know the New York City mayor, uh, Eric Adams, started praising these drag queens saying that we need more of these stories with our kids. And it's really disturbing, especially as Christians. We know how God designed us. We know that he made them male and female. We know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so whatever you're struggling with on the inside, you know, that doesn't mean you just go along with whatever you think. It's just a terrible terrible precedent to set and i think you're seeing the consequences of that and stories like these that are just so heartbreaking but these people are heroes for speaking out because it is not popular to do right now it is not the popular thing to do but uh, they are speaking truth and they have powerful testimonies to show what happens and what can happen these life-altering things that are irreversible and um you know particularly for young people yeah, I mean, it's just unconscionable that this is what's going on. And, you know, the fact that the truth is being suppressed, people need to stand up. If we don't stand up and speak the truth in love and, and we're not present, that's a problem. But if we don't pave a way for people like this to tell their stories, you know, there's a real effort to silence these stories for a reason. Because when these stories cast doubt on what is happening and show that it's not this black and white issue, that there are a lot of people who don't feel like they're in the right state of mind, obviously, when they're going through and doing these things that can never be reversed. In any other context, this would never be allowed, right? Yeah. As a culture, we would be horrified. And yet here we are. Um, and it's precisely because of what you just said, Dan, because mm -hmm. this is what God did. This is how he created us. It's who he made us that so many are rejecting that truth and then silencing people. So I, mm -hmm. I applaud these yeah. individuals who are willing yeah. to stand up. And by the way, I mean, this is 
this is a man. He was an adult when he made the decision and he's regretting it. So just yeah. imagine how much more serious it is when we do this to children who are not even able to make any sort of, you know, wise decision, really. Their their minds are not fully formed yet to make these decisions. So this is a, a man making the decision, yeah. and this is the regret that he's feeling. Think about how much more complex it is when we foist this on kids. Mm, 100%, and it's irreversible, and you can't go back. You, you just can't go back. It's a shame on these parents that are, that are pushing that uh, on their kids. Well, also, let's, speaking of irreversible, it's the same thing with abortion, of course. Once you make that choice, that child is gone forever. And people who are dedicated to saving lives on the pro-life movement are these pregnancy centers. They are there to provide valuable support and um, necessary items and needs to help these women get through these pregnancies when they maybe weren't ready for it and uh, on today's main thing madison seals takes a closer look at these pregnancy centers we are coming off of a historic monumental day for the united states after the supreme court effectively overturned the landmark roe v wade decision that guaranteed a constitutional right to abortion our vice president and president are saying that a constitutional right has been taken away from women, but we can rightly and excitedly proclaim that a constitutional right to life has been given back to our unborn children. I have Ethics and Public Policy Center fellow Patrick Brown here with me to discuss this landmark decision. Patrick, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And can you summarize what this decision means for the country? Oh, sure. Well, thanks for having me on. And it is really a great day for America. This this is one of the most important judicial decisions that has occurred, in, in, certainly in my lifetime, and really writes a, a wrong that has been uh, being undone for over 50 years. People marching and praying and voting and, and engaging in the political process to protect unborn in the womb. Now, obviously, this does not um, apply to the whole country. It's going to be up to states to advance their own versions of, of uh, restricting abortion and, and, and making sure that unborn children are protected, but it releases the artificial uh, prevention of state efforts that the Roe regime uh, had installed in 1973 and is now thankfully uh, resigned to the scrap heap. Right, right. And like you said, this fight for the unborn has been going on since Roe was established almost 50 years ago now. And in some ways, the fight is really just beginning now that it's going to be at a state level. What's next for the pro-life movement? Well, I think it's important for pro-lifers to be thinking about the two sides of the equation when it comes to abortion. Obviously, we're very familiar with efforts to restrict the supply for abortion when it comes to uh, certainly some of the, the measures that are be going to be going through states and other uh, ways to make sure that it, it's harder to provide those sort of uh, so-called services to, to women, but also thinking about the demand side of the equation as well. And that's where I really hope the pro-life movement devotes uh, renewed energy and enthusiasm towards making sure that economic pressures aren't forcing women to contemplate abortion uh, when, when uh, they are faced with uh, a crisis pregnancy or something like that. And so when you're talking about uh, women who are facing these uh, unplanned pregnancies, we need to be talking about making sure that they're eligible for things like the child tax credit, uh, certainly prenatal care, 
expanding Medicaid coverage to uh, up to a year postpartum, some of these other safety net programs that uh, can help smooth some of the burdens facing pregnant women and make it um, easier for them to carry their child to term and have a, uh, a healthy child and a healthy mom. Right. And those things will definitely be considered and kind of on the forefront in these 21 states that either have pre-existing or pending state-level abortion bans already in place that will now go into effect since the Supreme Court has returned abortion legislation to the states. And there's actually already some reports coming out from at least some clinics in Louisiana, Kentucky, Texas, and Missouri that are halting abortions immediately in response to the Supreme Court decision. What do you see happening and how quickly in the rest of these states with laws already in place? Well, right, exactly. Missouri, I think, may have been the first state to announce that they were putting their their laws into effect and making it uh, illegal to perform these services. I I think you're going to see a rush of states, certainly, uh, as as we, uh, you know, respond to the, the court's action over the the, the next week and, and they're on it uh, to go forward. But I, I think, uh, again, that, that can only be one part of the equation. And I think we've also seen in recent weeks states opting into some of the uh, more generous benefits for, for pregnant moms and, and talking about state-level child tax credits and some of these other things. And I think those will also be part of the legislative agenda for, for red states in particular who recognize that a society that has the ability to uh, protect the child in the womb also has the responsibility to make sure that child and its mother get the resources they need to have a, a healthy pregnancy and, and a healthy family. And so I think those debates are going to be front and center as we move forward. Yes, absolutely. And you alluded to this uh, just a moment ago, but you mentioned in a statement that the end of Roe will require a new type of politics. Can you explain, just, you know, kind of draw out what you mean by that? Sure. Like I said, for 50 years almost, uh, pro-lifers have been fighting to overturn Roe, and now we've won. And that is a historic moment. It's a great moment. And it's one we should all celebrate. But now, with that off the table, we need to turn our attentions to a, a pro-family economic policy uh, that that supports the family as the cornerstone of a healthy society. And I think uh, some of the proposals that are on the table in D.C. can help us get to that. I'm a particular fan of Senator Mitt Romney's Family Security Act, which would consolidate a lot of the uh, tangle of, of uh, credits and deductions in the tax code and, and reform them into a single monthly benefit that, that goes to 95 percent of parents. And so those type of programs that really place parents and, and, and families at the center of our economy are going to become even more important for pro-life, pro-family advocates to be advancing as, as we move forward, in addition to some of the state-level bans on abortion and, and those sort of efforts that we're seeing in states as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how we combat President Biden's statement that access to the abortion pill is the best option for women. We know otherwise, and the Supreme Court knows otherwise, and now states can focus on what many pro-life pregnancy clinics and ministries have already been doing all these years, and that's committing to helping desperate women and letting them know that there's a life-giving option for, for both them and their child. Exactly. I, I don't know if you remember last year, Texas passed a bill that was a little controversial at the time that, that made it uh, harder for women to procure abortions. And at the same time, uh, they passed uh, a dramatic increase in funding for their state's crisis pregnancy centers. And you can imagine which one got all the headlines. Of course, uh, there was cultural war fights uh, from the left about uh, the, the restricting access to abortion. But now with that issue off the table and it, it being back at the state level where it belongs, we can really focus on 
funding crisis pregnancy centers, funding uh, the groups that already do a great job of, of responding to, to women in these situations. And, and again, having an economy that, that places families first, and those efforts, I think, are going to become really uh, the, the, the linchpin of what the pro-life movement should be focusing on going forward. I'll just give you one more example. In the, in the mid-90s and the Clinton administration, uh, religious right groups, uh, folks like Ralph Reed and the Christian Coalition, were the essential uh, component of instituting the, the first version of the child tax credit in 1997. They really came to bat and, and advocated that the Republican Congress include a child tax credit in the in the tax code as part of, of making family life easier. And I think that example can be uh, something that we pick up and revivify as we move forward. It's a long journey ahead, but an exciting and energizing one. Praise the Lord. Exactly. It's it's a day that some of us might have thought we we never see, but it's here and, and it's really a, a charge on us all to take advantage of it and make the most of it and make America a place where every life is, is welcomed and, and valued and respected. Yes, yes. Amen to that. Well, Patrick, that's all the time that we have for today. But as I mentioned, there's much more to talk about in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. So I look forward to talking to you more about this in the future and celebrating some wins, hopefully, as well. I'd love that. Anytime. Thank you, Patrick. All right, Madison, thank you so much for that report. And we've got time, gentlemen, for one last thing. And this story comes down to it shows you really how one person just doing one little thing in your life uh, can really make a huge, huge difference. Yeah, it's Steve Harvey writing a letter uh, to his wife for their 15-year anniversary talking about God's grace and how she brought him where he is. And I don't want to spoil it. You want to read it, check it out. It's a pretty powerful letter. <laughs> it's really awesome to hear because every once in a while, Steve Harvey will come up with something really wise to say about faith. So it's yeah. it's, it's encouraging uh, when he says stuff like this. And uh, certainly celebrating marriage in our culture is a great thing. Yeah, indeed. Indeed it is. So I encourage you to head over to faithwire.com. Check out that story. And uh, as always, head on over to faithwire.com anyway and cbnnews.com for more news from a Christian perspective. That is all the time we have for today's Monday episode. And congratulations. You've made it through your Monday. Look at that. Well, all right. Maybe it's early in the morning and you've got the whole day left, but whatever, whatever. We've made it. Um, so we appreciate we appreciate that you're here. And uh, go ahead and subscribe to that Quick Start podcast. We'd love to have you here every day. God bless. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We'll see you back here tomorrow.